every great adventure requires a certain level of courage. When Hillary ascended his first ascent of Everest, it was an immense amount of courage to go someplace, somewhere no one else had ever gone. Lewis and Clark and the discovery of the Northwest Passage, again, set out, embarked on a journey that would take them to some place, somewhere, that they had never traveled before, hadn't been mapped, hadn't been, hadn't been charted out, and yet they had the courage to go. Throughout Scripture, we see people of faith over and over again in journeys that required courage. But the greatest distinction of courage in Scripture is that its foundation is in faith. It's not just simply that we bolster ourselves up. It's not simply that we gain enough strength or enough courage to suddenly make that difference, to go someplace somebody else hasn't gone, to experience something somebody else hasn't experienced. It's not that we just suddenly build up that strength. It's that there is a confidence in our relationship with God, through our relationship with God, that gives us the ability to do unknown things, unexperienced activities, go to places we haven't experienced before, to move aside out of our comfort, to face for the benefit of what might be received from other and for other generations and other people. And we find ourselves on a journey. There are so many questions and we've attempted to answer a lot of those. We, the, the, the frequently asked questions, the pamphlet we handed out last week, if you didn't get it, it's also on the website at fbctombo.org in the Let's Go section to answer a lot of questions and not all of them do we have answers to. We have more now than we did several years ago in this process, but there's still more that will come up. And there's a lot of unknowns. And there's a a lot of things that are going to require faith out of us. But faith at times, and especially in the area of courage, can get difficult because it's not always easy. Up until now in the book of Acts, it's been a pretty exciting journey. Jesus had commissioned the disciples. They had witnessed and saw him return to heaven to his throne. And been told, now go, do the things that he's taught you. Do the things that he's, he's commanded you. Go and do that. And within a matter of days, thousands of people have heard the message of hope that's in Christ and, and made that decision to be followers of Jesus. And in doing so, as Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts continually says in these first few chapters over and over again, the church began to grow. There were more added to it. Individuals were added to it. The number of people believing are multiplied. They're gathering in an immensely amazing fashion to pray and see miracles take place. Provision for all the people, provision for the ministry, provision so that everyone's taken care of, unity that is unprecedented, so that their care and their compassion and their love for one another is guiding and charting that course for them. God's presence, people being healed. And so with all of that excitement, it would be 
possible or potential to be a little bit delusional and think, this is all going to be great. And in Acts chapter 4, we find what many of us already know from our own experience or what we intuitively expect is not always great. There are some difficulties and there are some hard times and there are some questions and we have to process that. And it will take courage to do what Jesus has asked us to do. It's an amazing story in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, which is where we find ourselves today in the second chapter there in chapter 4 in verse 1, as this story unfolds. Peter and John have gone to the temple to pray as they do every single day. But on this occasion... They come across a beggar that they probably have seen every day and that that beggar has asked them for funds, for money, and their response is simply, we don't have it, we don't have any money. But what we do have, our faith in Christ, we share with you and God moves in that moment and heals that man who had been crippled for over 40 years. All of that's pretty exciting, and that's where we left off last week, but part two of this particular story happens this week, and not everyone is excited about what God's doing. Listen to the story. If you're following along in your Bibles, it's Acts chapter four, verse one. While they were speaking to the people, they're talking to the crowds that have gathered as a result of the man who has been healed, the priest the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, which is the religious ruling order, confronted them. I love verse two because it seems so typical of humans. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. So Peter and John are now spending the night in prison right after this just amazing moment and miracle. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Real quick, let me specify. I've talked about this in other passages in the Gospels. When the scripture refers to the number of men, you can extrapolate out the size of a normal family. And so in most cases, like the most popular one, the feeding of 5,000, as it's called in the Gospels, is a record of the men. Most scholars believe you can extrapolate that out to the full extent of all the families. We don't know that for a fact, but we know that almost all census, almost all counts in the first century AD were of the men only. And so it is possible that the crowd that was fed by Jesus in that miraculous moment was closer to 20,000. And it is possible in Acts chapter four that this 5,000 men that we have reference to in verse four is potentially an addition to their families and their servants and could number as many as 15, 20,000 as well. So it's significant things are happening. The story continues. The next day, the rulers, elders, scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all these are members of Annas' family, his high priestly family, and he's a puppet master over all of them. He's kind of the spiritual godfather in Jerusalem at that point in time. This is basically organized crime and organized religion together. 
after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God has raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting out of Psalms 118. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Because of the spiritual warfare that we studied in the book of Ephesians, and if you weren't with us, that was the series we did earlier this spring, and you can go back. It's, it's both on our YouTube channel as well as on our website, and you can get those notes, and you can look at that and listen to that. As is typical of our spirituality, God moves and Satan counter moves. And so God it moves in a significant and a dramatic fashion and a man is healed and immediately the opposing forces begin to move in and squelch because God's going to get all the credit. God's going to get all the glory. And Peter and John are being tested. They're, they're going through a trial in which they will have to understand clearly where their authority comes from and where their faith takes them in their boldness and in their courage. And all of this blends together to create a scenario in which they enjoy the presence of God working through them in order to give testimony to what God is doing in this moment. Now, you can be sitting there right now knowing that this whole series is named and branded on the basis of our capital campaign and our desire to raise two and a half, around two and a half million dollars in the next 
six to seven weeks over the entire period of a, of a two-year course and make commitments, which I'll just qualify again when you fill out your commitment card. That's not a contract. We're not, you're, not, you're not like signing on to something and we're going to call and, and, and collect debts from you in some form or fashion. It is, it is a statement that allows us, the leadership, the building team, and us as a church to know this is a part of our budget, this is what we can plan on, this is what's going to take place, this is what we're expecting, this is what's going to allow us to do these things, and more important than anything else, it allows us as a congregation to celebrate what God is doing. But it is unreasonable to assume that with all the great things that are happening, there aren't going to be a few speed bumps along the way and a few difficulties and to remember our purpose. And that's what this whole series is about. And that's what Pastor Steve said, Pastor Josh reflected on it as well, to remind us this is so much more important than buildings. Yes, buildings are being built. Yes, buildings have been sold and we will, we will leave out and we will move and make all those arrangements and move into the new buildings. Yes, a whole new campus is being established. Yes, all that stuff is taking place. But the purpose is that people meet Jesus and have life change. And that's where the opposition comes. So right up front, we need to understand, I'm not saying somebody's gonna come against us because we're building a building. It will feel like that at times because we've done this before in other areas and different levels. It'll feel like that sometimes, but it's not because we need to go back to Ephesians chapter six and remember, Paul said, our struggles, our battles aren't against flesh and blood. People aren't the problem. These forces, these rulers, these authorities, these dominions in the heavenly realms that are opposed to God, rebelled against him and are now separated from him, they are in conflict and we get caught in that conflict. So I'm not saying, oh, there's gonna be problems. I'm not saying there are any problems. There has surprisingly been no problems. We have phone calls every week with our, one of our consultants and every week he says, okay, so what are you hearing? And he keeps waiting for us to give him some kind of bad news. I feel guilty sometimes and the other pastors have mentioned that they feel guilty sometimes because we don't have anything bad to say. Everybody's excited. The most common Emotion we hear out of our people is finally. That's where the whole statement, let's go, came from. Because everybody's going, finally, it's happening, finally. This has been a 20-year journey for our congregation. Finally, it's happening. Let's go. Let's get this done. Let's, Let's move on. But the spiritual dynamic shifts. We claim new territory for the cause of Christ. We shift and move and make this adjustment for the very singular purpose of making it easier for people to come to know Jesus. And Satan is not going to like that. And so we, like Peter and John, we're gonna have to know exactly who we are because when confrontation comes, we need to be able to point to what God is doing because it never was about us and it never will be about us. They are confronted in these first few verses. They're confronted and the people are ignored, the, the annoyed, the leaders are annoyed because they're teaching and proclaiming that Jesus is the author, perfecter of our faith and the giver of resurrection. Let people be annoyed because our message is so crystal clear that everybody knows all we point to is Jesus. Jesus said that we could expect that. Jesus said that if they hated him, they would hate us at times. 
that if they questioned him, they would question us. That if they didn't believe him, they wouldn't believe us. But that's our message. The singular message here, even beyond the miracle of this healing, is that Jesus is the resurrection from the dead and gives it to his followers. And the validation happens in the midst of that conflict because Jesus wants to continue to show people that he is God. And that as the resurrection, he has power over any issue they're facing, including their sin and the ability to forgive. And many, in verse four, begin to hear the message and as a result, believe. And so the question comes up, then why do you do this? We have been battling this in the United States for the last 70 years in a significant fashion. By what authority do you do this? The authority is clear. As they are questioned in verse seven, and it plays out in verse eight, and the Holy Spirit fills and moves through Peter, it is by the authority of the name of Jesus in verse 10. And I love this. I love Peter. Peter has not always been strong and bold. He's actually known in the gospel for his cowardice above all things. And so I struggle with Peter. He's not one of my favorite Bible characters. Probably because he reminds me too much of myself. I understand enough psychology to know that you tend to not like people who are just like you. And so probably I may struggle in some of that myself. But the Holy Spirit comes on him and he says, our authority? Why are we doing this? Why, why are we a church? Why do we exist? Why is it okay for us to preach the gospel? Because our authority is found in the name of Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. Oh, by the way, when he was here, you crucified him. You executed him. You put him to death. But God raised him from the dead. Let's don't ever forget why and how we do what we do. It is the name of Jesus. It is the power of Jesus. It is the resurrection of Jesus in everything. And that gives us the confidence and the clarity that so clearly is a part of our message. Salvation, Peter says in verse 12, is in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. No other name. No other resource. There's no other place to go than to Jesus. I would encourage you. It's real easy if you're in the Bible app. You just push down on verse 12 and it'll pull you up a variety of colors. I always pick light blue, but you're welcome to pick yellow or green or pink. I think there's even kind of a purplish color there that I've never used, but you could do it if you want to. And I encourage you to highlight this. I encourage you to to pull out a pen and do it covered in your Bible. I know some people don't like to write in Bibles. I'm perfectly, perfectly fine with that. But make reference to this because... When, you go, when our students go and pray at the polls at their schools and people say, why do you do that? What authority can you do that? The IRS is gonna get mad at you. Well, the IRS is mad all the time, so who's worried about that? You remember, and we remember, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Who are we? We are people who have trusted in the one true God. And the message stays 
clear. And so we are resolute and we are tenacious, just like Peter and John. Let us be known not with arrogance, not with annoyance, not in the the inappropriate use of it because Jesus clearly demonstrates all of his authority and yet all of his compassion simultaneously. But look at verse 13. They observed the boldness of Peter and John. And this is what I want to be so true of my life, and this is what I want to be so true of our church, and it is today, and we don't ever want to lose this. They were amazed, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. It may sound funny at times because we have so strongly emphasized the nature and the core of our ministry that it may seem like at some times, and especially like last week when the pastor sat up here and cried the whole time about how he didn't want to build a building. Why are you building a building if you don't want to build a building? Because I recognize the necessity to do ministry in this generation for the next generation. Our point is simple, and this is the reality. We don't want to be recognized because of a new campus. We don't want to be recognized because of a new building. We want people to look at us and stand amazed and recognize that we've been with Jesus. A new campus makes that easier and we believe in that vision and we are accomplishing and fulfilling that vision. But at the end of it, we are not looking for any kind of rewards or any kind of remarkable stance or position on anybody about anything other than this. In this place, you can meet and be with Jesus. That's what it's about. And that's what it's about tomorrow when you go to school and a friend begins to question you and your faith comes into conflict with current culture. That's what it's about tomorrow when you go to work. And you have to make decisions about what you're going to do, what you can and can't say, and and you have to figure that out. That's what it's about this afternoon when you sit down and you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay your bills in an economy that's spiraling out of control. That's what it's about when you see headlines as I did yesterday morning and realize that one of the most sacred places on the face of the earth is at war. And four weeks ago, our mainstream media and president were playing footsie with the enemy. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. I'm hurt and I'm sad because this world has conflict and difficulty but the answer is the same that it always has been know Jesus meet Jesus see Jesus and most importantly be recognized because you're with Jesus We all have those moments sometimes when we run into somebody and we meet somebody. And we want people to know. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to eat lunch with Mel Gibson. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Took my picture with him. Immediately showed my wife because I thought she would be impressed. 
I had planned fully and completely to come back to church and to tell Josh and Cody, let's put it up on the screens. I wanted everybody to know. I mean, there's a part of that that's still true. That's why I'm telling you. It's been five years. I've disciplined myself to be humble for five years, and now I'm not going to be any longer. I ate lunch with Mel Gibson. (laughs) The truth is, it didn't make any difference. Maybe a little sad. He shared some personal things with me, and I've been praying for him since then. I want people to know I've been with Jesus. You know, at the end of the day when I'm praying at night and I ask myself, what do I want more than anything else? Why do I want this campaign to be so successful? Why do I want us to announce on December 3rd way beyond that goal of 2.25 million? Why Why do I want that? And in the purest part of my heart, when I move away some of the stuff that's all around it and needs to be dealt with sometimes, the bottom line is this. I want God to do something here in this moment that can be explained in no other way than it was God. It was God. Peter's only defense Standing next to a man who's able to dance and leap now is not that Peter had the right idea, said the right formula to the man, and suddenly he was made well. His only defense was they recognized he had been with Jesus. I believe on December 3rd, through our sacrificial commitments, we will announce an amount that has been committed and pledged to this project so far beyond expectation that people will have to say, you know what? Those people have been with Jesus. This is only possible because of what God is doing in our midst. So when I challenge you to pray and when I challenge you to give and I challenge you to do so with boldness and courage, It's not for the glory of ascending to the top of the highest mountain in the world. And it's not for the glory of being known in history as the ones who discovered an entire new West Coast. It is to be able to say, God moved in our midst. God made a difference. God provided where provision couldn't be understood. God led in a way that we couldn't, that we couldn't even hesitate to do anything other than say yes, yes, yes. We are a people known because of who we hang out with. And who we hang out with is Jesus.